Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Welcome to Insights, everyone. Today, we're excited to share a recent conversation with Nate Hiltz of Canadian Folk and Bluegrass Ensemble, The Dead South, a gold-certified group that's gained a cult following over the last decade for songs like In Hell, I'll Be In Good Company, Banjo Odyssey, and many more. And now, featuring some of their favorite bluegrass and rock covers, like People Are Strange by The Doors and You Are My Sunshine, The Dead South will release Easy Listening for Jerks, Parts 1 and 2, on March 4, 2022, via Six Shooter Records. In this conversation, Amy Wright and Nate dig into the making of those albums, the history of the band, how some of their most popular songs originated, and a whole lot more. Hi, Nate. Dead South. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Welcome to Diddy TV. Thank you. Where are you right now? Y'all are on Currently, tour, right? Yeah, we're on tour, and right now I'm sitting in a hotel room in Berlin. Hey, that's a pretty cool place to be. It is, yeah. So what's going on in Berlin? Is it back in action, or is it still kind of shut down? I mean, how is it over there? It, it seems like stuff's starting to uh, pick up again. Um, I was talking to a couple local people and they said that, uh, you know, a few months ago, you, you didn't see many people out on the streets, but now it's starting, it, it seems almost pretty normal. Uh, you need a mask for every building you go into and they do uh, a 2G and a 3G system. Uh, I think 3G is where you can show a test. So you, as a business owner, you have the option to choose 2G or 3G. If you do 3G, um, you can provide a negative COVID test or a vaccine. Uh, and then the other one, you can only come in if you're vaccinated or something. So it's it's like trial and error on showing up in different places and seeing what happens. Well, I know you guys have, have toured in Germany before and actually in other parts of Europe, but what is the live music scene like in Berlin? Is it big and happening or is it kind of a smaller scene? What's going on there? Yeah, from my understanding, every time we're here, there's just bands playing left and right and center. You, you like you have a show and you're you're all excited about it, but there's probably thirty other shows happening that night. It's pretty cool. Awesome. So did you play tonight or did y'all play last night? Yeah, we played last night at a place called Columbia Halle, and it was a good show. We had thirty five hundred people come out. So. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, we're gonna talk about easy listening for jerks, part one, right. which I think is a hilarious name for a for an album. <laughs> But uh, before we do that, I kind of wanted to go back and talk a little bit about how you, how you guys got started, which was, I believe, in 2012, somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Yeah, so basically, uh, 2011, I moved home because I was going to school uh, in Quebec for a little bit. And I came home and uh, the roommates I was living with were on the wrestling team at the university. And they brought over a buddy one day. I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Uh, his name's Colton. <laughs> so uh, anyways, we started talking almost immediately because I think I was listening to Trampled by Turtles at the time. Um, and we just started talking about music. And he said that he just got a banjo. And I was like, I've always wanted to be in a band. That let's, you know, it'd be kind of cool to try something. So we started jamming uh, with my roommates and Colton. And then both my roommates ended up moving. One uh, moved to China for school and the other one moved to Montreal for music 
And then Cole and myself kept jamming. And then I was like, I got a buddy who plays the cello. Grew up with him. That's Danny. So Danny came in. And then we both mutually knew Scott because I grew up with Scott. And Colton was taking uh, courses with Scott at university. So we brought in Scott. And then that became uh, what we are today. Yeah. So did all of you grow up playing music then? And, and was that already a thing? But I know you all had to learn a couple of new instruments for Dead South. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, uh, we all grew up playing music in different capacities. Uh, Scott was a really good piano player growing up. Um, he played trumpet in band uh, and started playing guitar in high school. Danny took cello from a young age. And then he also took saxophone in band in elementary school for a bit. And he's a wicked good guitar player too. Colton, I think he might have started with piano. And then I think he played clarinet or something in band. He's easily the best guitar player in the band. And then he started playing banjo, which he took very well to. And I started with piano when I was young. I sucked, so I quit. Started playing uh, saxophone in band with Danny. That lasted a couple of years. And I just kind of poorly played guitar for a bit in high school. And then it was when I moved to Quebec, I started playing guitar again. And then, yeah, that's then it stuck. when it started playing for real. Yeah. <laughs> so were you guys thinking in the beginning that this was going to be a amped up punk kind of bluegrass thing? Or what were you thinking when you started the band? Oh, it was the idea was kind of to play some kind of fast folk music, I guess, because or bluegrass style. Uh, we're really turned on by bands like Trampled uh, by Turtles and The Devil Makes Three and stuff like that and the cool sounds that they were making. So the idea was to, to do that. But what we didn't realize is that we weren't good at it. <laughs> so that we had to kind of throw in our own mix of it all, which naturally came. And the idea was literally to play at one bar in our hometown. Like, oh, I, one day we'll play there. And it just kept rolling from there. So you come out with your, your first sort of, here's our sound, and did people just go crazy for it right off the bat? Or was it kind of a slow burn? Actually, yeah, it, it was. Um, so like I said, uh, the idea was to play at one bar. <laughs> that was kind of the end goal. Um, but we, we started playing. We played at a smaller bar to get to that bar. We played at another bar. And then all of a sudden we started getting emails and phone calls all the time. We, we didn't book our own shows for the first couple of years. People just kept asking us to come play. So we were, yeah, we were enjoying it. Well, what would you consider your first big break? You know, everyone has that moment where they're, they're, they think, oh, wow, we've arrived now. We're now playing this club or we're touring with it or opening for somebody or whatever it is. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I'm going to start even further back from mm -hmm. that. I think the first moment that we ever thought that this was something was when you look down in the crowd and people are singing your lyrics back. And that was cool because it's not even in your own city and we had just started. So that's like, okay, we got something going here. People are, are digging this. Um, I think when we went to Europe for a first time, because before that we were just touring around Saskatchewan and Alberta and Canada, just kind of hopping around to bars and festivals. And then we went to Toronto for Canadian Music Week and someone saw us there. His name is Jörg Tresp, who runs Devil Duck Records in Germany. And he was just like, as soon as I saw you guys, I, I wanted to book you and sign you. So like, oh, that's, that's really cool. So next thing you know, we're going to Europe and we're starting to play over there. So I think that was kind of the first moment of like, oh, it's some sort of making it, I guess. 
So is that the German connection then? That's how y'all moved over there and, and actually have an audience over there as well? It was through him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we, we did that pretty early on. So we started in 2012. In 2014, we met Jorg, and then we started coming to Germany three, four times a year, pretty much. Well, you're obviously Canadian, and you played in Europe, but was that before you actually started touring in the U.S., or were you doing that already? No, actually, getting into the U.S. was a late start. Uh, 2015, we uh, we did a quick little run because we got accepted to play at Americana Fest and also at Muddy Roots. Um and then we booked maybe three or four shows around that kind of thing. So that was it. And then we tried coming again in 2017. And we got denied at the border because the paperwork wasn't done right. So we had to turn <laughs> around and scramble. And then we made it. You crazy and, Canadians. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not going to let you in, I tell you. <laughs> I know. Oh, it was so scary, too, because we were at the border for eight hours maybe that day. It was oh, so long. That's terrible. And at the end of the day, he... Yeah, he calls me in the back room, and they, they're, like, putting their gloves on. I'm like, oh, no. And then he throws down a stack of paper, and he's like, I can go through all of this and basically ban you guys for five years. But that's a lot of work for wow. me. Or you can go home and figure your stuff out and do it properly <laughs> and come back. We're like, oh, yeah, we'll do it properly. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, since then, we, uh, since that moment, we kept coming back. Well, you know, I, I had one of those incidences at the border, but I was coming in from Mexico and I thought I had lost my passport and I'd gotten a new one, but then I refound it in, in my oh. house and I put it in this folder. So when I went to travel, I grabbed the wrong one. It was the one that I had said had been lost. And as I'm trying to come back in, they're like, you're traveling on a stolen passport. I'm like, no, that's me. <laughs> that's my passport. This is my own stolen passport. I stole it myself. And they, they weren't messing around. They, were, they called me in the back room and, you know, they were going to do something to me. And they kind of made a couple phone calls. But, yeah, they don't mess around. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> so you guys went home and you, you got yourself together. And I know we had you in at Diddy. I think it was 2018, somewhere in there. And so that must yeah. have been when y'all were coming, uh, first kind of coming to the States, I suppose. Yeah, that was our first time ever being in Memphis or anything like that. So it was it was really cool. So thanks for having us in. That was awesome. No, it was totally fun. And we got introduced to your music. And one thing that has always sort of struck me is that, kind of like you said, that you didn't intend to play just straight up bluegrass or you, you felt like you couldn't quite play straight up bluegrass. And now you have your own sound and it's very unique, which is very cool. And then it almost seems satirical, like you're poking fun a little bit at the whole thing. And uh, you, you, all of your songs and music seem to have a sense of humor about them. Yeah, I think like the the main thing about us is we don't take ourselves too seriously. You know, we're we're out there having fun and playing music, and I think a lot of people forget that that music is fun and can be, and uh, we just try and really hold that true and strong. And we we just yeah we poke fun at stuff and we try and just have a good time. Well, I think uh, it was. Uh... In Hell, I'll Be in Good Company, and Spaghetti, is that the other one? Yeah. So when we recorded you guys at Diddy, those songs went through the roof. I mean, in the number of, of streams that we had on those two songs. When you wrote those songs, for example, or when you write any song that becomes a hit, I, sh I should say, um, did you think those were the hits, or were you surprised? 
I think it's always surprising when they are. Um, in Hell, that song kind of came about because only three of us showed up to a jam one day. Um, I think it was Scott. He couldn't make it for some reason. So we're sitting in Danny's garage, and I was like, oh, man, we should do something with just cello and banjo. I think that'd be really cool. Danny started plucking chords and then whistling out the melody almost immediately. And it was like, that's going to be fun. So, yeah, the idea was just it's going to be fun. And then, yeah, the song took off. And it's it's pretty crazy. So even like Spaghetti, I I didn't know that that would – even like the name Spaghetti, you know, people give me <laughs> flack all the time. I'm like, yes, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's good. Um, but, yeah, no, no intention of – or no – no thoughts of thinking it's going to go well. It's just like, I, I like it. It feels good. And and then you just kind of hope people like it as well. Well, and sort of famously, you guys wear the same sort of clothing. And I guess it sort of has a, maybe a bit of a folk appeal, but it was, it was, you're all wearing the same thing. How did that sort of idea come in your head? And, and was it why, I should say? Yeah. Yeah, why? Good question. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's very we, cool. It makes you unique, right? So Yeah, it does, yeah. And, and I think it started with the idea of let's all wear something similar. Uh-huh. So I think our very first show ever, we all wore hats of some sort. And the next show, we all wore plaid shirts, something like that, where we'd all just always be, look the same. And then it was Colton who said uh, we should wear white shirts and suspenders one time. So then we all started wearing that and it was kind of nice just wearing white shirts and suspenders and then white shirts and suspenders turned into black pants with white shirts and suspenders. And I started getting a, a, a little too fat. So I was like, I'm going to wear a coat, you know, <laughs> cover my beard gut a little bit. And then the, you know, the hats and then we all wore ties, but Scott always lost his ties. And, you know, so now he doesn't wear a tie and I always wear a bolo tie because it's so easy. And then everyone kind of developed their own little bit going from there. Do you ever look out and people are wearing the same thing when they come to your shows? Yeah, yeah, you get a lot of that. You get people wearing white shirts and hats and suspenders. That's got to be trippy, like you said, when someone is singing your lyrics and they're mimicking the way that you dress. And, I mean, from where you started, that just has to be a trip. Mm, oh, it is. Actually, the biggest trip is uh, we were in a bar. I think this might have been in England somewhere. Well, we walked into a bar and there's people dressed up like this. And people were getting photos with them thinking that they were us. And we were in the bar and no one even knew it <laughs> because we weren't just up. <laughs> That's yeah. actually very funny. That's very funny. Um, so how do you guys write your music? Do you just get, like you said, get, get together and start jamming? Or does one or the other of you write a song and everyone kind of else jumps in on their parts? Yeah, a little bit of both, actually. Um, We've written a lot of songs just sitting down jamming. And that was more so in the early days when we were jamming three, four nights a week. Just grab a case of beer and sit down and we just play for hours. Um, but, but then, of course, there's always the instance of someone coming up with like a riff or, a, you know, a nice chorus or even a structure of a song. And then you sit down and then you start playing it together and start working parts. So, like for example, Spaghetti, I wrote that one. I think I was at my cabin when I wrote that one. Uh and then I brought it to the guys and, you know, we mixed, we switched some parts up and they added their stuff. Broken Cowboy, I wrote that one just by myself kind of thing. And yeah. So what were you guys doing, doing during COVID? You were in Canada, I guess. Uh, and um, were you writing, playing music, producing stuff? What were you doing? 
Yeah, not much writing. I wrote a couple of songs over COVID. Um, I know the other guys were playing around with some stuff. Uh, Colton got into coding, so he started making video games and stuff like that. Uh, and now he and he does a lot of jujitsu, and he also started doing Twitch, uh, the, the online thing where people can watch him play banjo and video games and stuff like that. So he spent a lot of time doing that. The other guy, Scott, had a baby, so he was pretty busy with that. And Danny has a full-time job as a structural engineer, so he he was doing mostly that. Um, but we did all buy uh, some recording gear so we could get some ideas together. And then that led to um, two EPs that we actually ended up doing over COVID, uh, which are covers. Both of them are covers. So we got Easy Listening for Jerks Part 1 and Part 2. And we're going to talk about those in like two seconds. But I know you guys also, uh, during COVID, didn't you put out a live album and with proceeds going to help Canadian artists and others that are that were kind of going through the uh, lack of being able to tour, et cetera, and the venues being closed. Yeah, no, not just Canada. We, we uh, put some towards uh, U.S. funds as well. Um, it was for venues that were mm -hmm. struggling and stuff like that to help out as much as possible. And so basically with that one, we, we had talked about for quite a while of releasing a live album. So we had been recording every show anyways, just to kind of get used to that kind of stuff. And then once COVID hit and there were no shows, so mm -hmm. it's kind of a perfect time to release a live album of us playing live shows, I guess. So it came out prematurely um, in a lot of places that we wanted to be on there, uh, like some German cities that we'd been to, you know, they started us up basically. They didn't end up making it on there because we didn't get to tour there. Right. Um, well, what, how, how was Canada during that time period for artists? Was it equally as hard as some of the, the, um, artists that we know in the U.S., we know that they suffered from not being able to tour. Was it like that in Canada as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you, there was a lot of suffering going on. You, you were just seeing people starting off kind of, you know, like, okay, we're all in this together. They're doing live streams, playing as much as possible, and then you just see certain ones just start petering out. They're posting less and less. All of a sudden, they have to go find another job, and a lot of them aren't even playing music anymore. They've kind of moved on to other things and more security. And maybe one day they'll get back in. But it was definitely extremely difficult for artists, you know, sound tech, stagehands, venue owners, everything like that. It's very encouraging to see venues open back up again and concerts happening. And, and like you said, for people who kind of had to step away from it because you have to make a living, hopefully they're able to get back into it. Because once a musician, you're kind of always a musician in some form or fashion and we're starting to really uh, see a lot more um, live events and so that's that's really nice to see and some venues that were closed they're opening back up again and maybe in a different form or fashion but it's it's really nice to see so uh, let's talk about easy listening for jerks part one so how did y'all come up with the name for that that album <laughs> wait and there's got to be a part two right because that's part one so we there is a part, there's a part two, two. yeah um, well, the, uh, the idea just kind of for doing EPs, um, in it. So these are cover EPs is what they are. And over the years, uh, we'd kind of talked about the ideas of doing covers and just kind of being like more true to something. For example, maybe do a strictly bluegrass EP, maybe do a strictly metal EP, but with our instruments, you know, just kind of have fun and, and do stuff like that. The name, um, 
we were just sitting around somewhere and I was like, oh, easy listening for jerks. That sounds funny. So <laughs> I threw the idea out to the guys and they all laughed. So like, okay, that's good. Um, and it's not a diss at anyone. Obviously, it's just us having fun. Uh, I thought it'd be good. So the first one we did, we recorded all six of them at our, our homes individually. So Scott lives in Kelowna, which is about 16 hours from where we live. So uh, I do a part, send it to Colton. Colton add banjo. He'd send it to Danny. Danny would add cello. He'd send it to Scott. Scott add his harmonies and and mandolin and stuff like that. So that was the first first time that we actually um, engineered and produced our own little EP. So that was kind of cool. So how yeah, did you choose the, the? How did you actually choose what covers? Because it's all across the board. I noticed that. Um, was it? Were they songs you actually like already, or how did that happen? Yeah, some of them were. So we uh, we work with a publishing company called Pure Music, and they have a, an extensive catalog of old traditional songs. And the idea was that we were just going to, you know, start covering some of those songs for something to do and, you know, work on our chops a little bit. And then they can get put into the catalog, and if they want to get used, so be it. And while that was happening, it's was like, well, why don't we just start doing the, this project of EPs. Um, so the first one, Easy Listening for Jerks part one is bluegrass and traditional songs. Um, some of them we picked because they were on the pure catalog and some of them we picked because they were songs that we liked. For example, uh, You Are My Sunshine, that was on the catalog. Matterhorn was not, that's just a song that we really liked and wanted to try it out. You Are My Sunshine is one of my faves. I love that song, oh, yeah. Um, so what was it like to produce your own EP versus having someone else produce it? And, and what was that experience like? And was it better, worse? Well, producing wise, um, we're very hands-on when it comes to that. So like our first EP, we produced that ourselves, A good company. We produced that ourselves and every other one, we're always working with the producer. So illusion and doubt as with Jason Plum, it's just us going back and forth, sharing ideas. Um, and then Sugar and Joy, same thing with Jimmy Nutt at the Nut House. We're going back and forth sharing ideas and like, oh, that'll sound cool. Why don't we try that? Uh, so doing it just ourselves wasn't so, wasn't so different or, or hard. It was the engineering part because we had to learn how to use Pro Tools and we had to learn to use all these different things and record ourselves so it sounds good and not just like tin can or something. <laughs> well, when you came out of it, did you feel empowered? Hey, I got this from a technical Absolutely. perspective. Yeah, yeah, it felt good, and like, we learned a lot, not just in terms of the program, but we learned a lot as musicians as well, so that was a good... Well, it sounds like you have one techie in the band, so he was probably pretty helpful with uh, with all that. Yeah, uh, well, we did a lot of calling other people. I mm -hmm. remember calling Jimmy Nutt a couple of times, calling Chris, our manager, a couple of times, calling our sound guy, Rhubarb, like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good, though. Hey, yeah, we learned a lot, so... So you're currently on the Served Cold Tour, then you continue with the Twin Tangle Tour. And so... <laughs> twin Twangler. <laughs> twin, twin I almost couldn't say it. So what is the difference between those tours and why are they called what they're called? I just thought it was, a, they were funny names for, for tours. Yeah, well, the Served Cold Tour is a tour that started two years ago that we haven't got to finish because of COVID. So we're <laughs> finishing that out. Uh -huh. But also... Because of all this downtime, we were off for 18 months not playing anything. Um, we're like, hey, there's an opening in January that we don't have anything booked. So we threw that in after the fact. 
Um, and the reason that it's called Twin Twangler, Danny came up with that name because he thought it was hilarious, um, is we're doing two nights at each spot. So oh, we're starting okay. in Fargo. So we do two nights in Fargo and then two nights at the next spot. And just thought we'd do it a little different. Instead of hitting every place each night, play a little bit smaller venue, but do it two nights in a row. So what is it you like? Mo you guys like most about touring? Well, playing. You get to play all the time. That's definitely one of the best. Next part would be um, getting to see fans and people that you haven't seen in years that come to all your shows. That's a lot of fun. And then also just getting to experience new places. Um, playing in this band, we've been to so many places that I never would have imagined going just by myself. And the, the situations you end up in sometimes are hilarious, so that's always good. Okay, tell, tell me about one, one or two of those. Tell me. Sure. Uh, well, one of them, we played um, in Germany here in a place called Wuppertal. And the sound guy, I think it was the sound guy, or he was the pro under the show, says, hey, guys, I, I noticed you have two days off. I'm going to throw a party tomorrow. There's going to be like 100, 200 people. It's going to be great. Uh, here's the place. And he sent us the address. We drove there. It was hard to get to because it was this old farmhouse built in like the 1400s just in the middle of this forest somewhere. And there was maybe 10 people there. And it was, uh, they were all like vegan hippie kind of type people, which is totally fine. But like, hey, come eat. <laughs> and it's just raw vegetables on the table <laughs> that they just pulled out of the dirt. Like, okay. Then they had made a bunch of weed cookies that we didn't know were weed cookies. Oh, no. So we started eating these cookies. And all of a sudden we go and we start playing the set. And we're playing, then all of a sudden everything is kind of like slowed down. And I looked around, like, what the hell is going on? And everyone's like, I, I think I'm tripping balls, man. You're like, the cookies yeah, so, were good. Yeah. So the party wasn't quite a big party. Um, it was a cool, interesting little thing in this 14, or this farmhouse built in the 1400s. And, and, then, and then he didn't pay us either. So There's that. But you got cookies and you got raw vegetables. Out of the That's deal. right. We did. Yeah. <laughs> so when you guys are traveling, I was talking to one artist who's, who said that he actually now has kind of a, he's taken notes as to restaurants and places he likes to, to go when he's in various cities. Do y'all kind of make mental notes or, or notes about that and where you like to go and what you like to see and who you like to visit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the more, the more you go places, the more you realize you have to write them down as well. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a thing. Like every time we go to Hamburg, we always make sure we go to a place called Rosie's bar and we always make sure we go to this little like chorus spot and get some currywurst because that's just something we always did. So like, that's just an example of everywhere you go. There's, there's somewhere you gotta return to actually one of the best breakfast places we ever had was this diner in Lexington, Kentucky. And we went there, but it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, I know I was going to get up to Lexington soon. I thought I was about to be yeah, given right? a tip, <laughs> breakfast, <laughs> breakfast tip. Have you guys ever played New Orleans? Mm -hmm. We played there at Tipitina's mm -hmm. and we were supposed to play on this last tour, but because of the, the hurricanes that just passed through, we had to move it. So that show got moved to the end of January, actually. And that's going to be at the House of Blues. Well, it, when you go back, I have a, a bar recommendation for you. There's right. a cool little bar in the French Quarter called Napoleon's. And so 
If you have time off and you want to pop down there and have a drink, it's just uh, in the house where Napoleon was supposed to move when he was exiled. And it's a little bar and it's, it's very cool. You can check it out. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. And then I have one more question about Canadian venues. If there was a, if I was going to travel to Canada and go to one city and one venue, what would you suggest? Where would you suggest I go? That's a tough one. Or maybe the give me a couple of suggestions. Is, there's some good venues in, in some cool cities. Uh, and sometimes, uh, it depends how big it is too and what kind of show you're going for. I always recommend, this is, uh, this is a little bit of a name drop, uh, Bo's Barn Stage in Red Deer. Mm -hmm. It's one of our places. We started going there early on and they kind of grew with us. Like When we went there, there was no stage, no sound equipment. We didn't know what we were doing, so we all just kind of learned together. And now they get bands from all over the world that go there. So that's a pretty cool place. Um, um, oh yeah, there's some cool venues. I mean, like you go to Toronto, there's some legendary venues like the Horseshoe Tavern, which is a really cool place. Well, Diddy TV wants to get up there, so I'm gonna hit oh, you. Yeah. I'm gonna hit you up next time we sure. are able to go, and you can tell us where to go and. Of course, we want you to come back to Memphis to see us, and that would be great when, when you're on tour and if you have a day that you're coming through Memphis or playing Memphis, let us know. We'd love to have you back down for a, a set or so. And, uh, and then also, uh, when can we expect part two? Uh, part two is actually coming out around the same time. Uh, March 4th, I believe, is when they're both coming out. And yeah, part two, I was going to say this earlier, part two is obviously not traditional. It's more of uh, some songs that we grew up listening to all the time. So it's, it's a lot more eclectic on that one and a little heavier for sure. Yeah. Well, we love you guys dead South at Diddy TV. So we wish you all the best on your tour. We wish you the best with the album and hope to see you on the road. All right. Well, thank you very much. It's nice to see you again. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nate Hiltz of Canadian Folk and Bluegrass Ensemble, The Dead South. To learn more about The Dead South, to see their tour dates, and to purchase their music, visit thedeadsouth.com. And remember, you can visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content, and download the official, free Diddy TV app from your app store today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 